There's a, an, an air of vulnerability that comes off you. Why is that? Say more about that. Say more about it. Is that one of your fucking psychotherapist questions? <laughs> West Cork. That's where we found ourselves this week. We're here to visit the home of this week's guest, Holly Cairns. I'm alongside Killian, as always. Richie, how are you? We're parked up in the town of Skibbereen, which isn't too far from Holly's home at all. Just to have a quick chat before we head over. And maybe a quick apology from me, because I spent the entire journey down here telling you how beautiful West Cork is. Mm-hmm. It's currently deluged in rain and it's mm-hmm. very great. I can still see the beauty. To those unfamiliar with Holly or her story, Holly Kearns is the leader of the Social Democrats. She took on that role in February and she's someone who hasn't been in politics that long at all. 2019 was the year she ran for office for the very first time and amazingly she won her seat on the Cork County Council by the smallest of margins I mean that literally she won by a single vote she won by one vote which is absurd it's amazing the following year she contested the general election she ran for office for the Cork South West constituency and she won and she's now the party leader so it's amazing amount of progress for somebody in a very short period of time and all at a really really young age the Collie turns 34 this weekend which kind of makes it all the more incredible really. it, it's mad I, I see it was head spinning stuff for her to go through so what I want to do, I'd like to talk to her about that, but also I really want to delve a little bit deeper into a topic that Holly spoke publicly about for the first time earlier this year, I think in January it was, namely the abuse that politicians now routinely receive, specifically the nature of the abuse aimed solely at women, and more personally, what are her own experiences in this area, mm. in addition to loads of inappropriate and sexualized comments and messages. She's spoken publicly about this. She faced a pretty frightening scenario of one man repeatedly showing up at her home and it's the home we're about to visit now so I really want to learn what kind of responses she's been receiving from colleagues from constituents from anyone really Mm. since she spoke publicly about that for the first time and just what has it been like for her since she spoke so openly and candidly about it all so really looking forward to this one and once again honestly Killian, I'm delighted that our guest is inviting us into their home to have this conversation particularly and I'll take your word for it because it's in such a gorgeous part of the country. As usual, I want to tell you that this podcast and this entire episode series is brought to you by now. As you'll have gathered at this point, if you've listened to the first couple of chats with Tommy and with Katrina, the conversations we've been having so far haven't really required me at all to lean too much on the whole Millwall, football, football analysis, pressing fullbacks part of my life. That could change today, Richie. I don't think it will, but it could. I doubt it somehow but this doesn't mean that I'm still not really really connected to my first love of football and if you want to catch some of the biggest games in the biggest league in the world get yourself a now sports membership what are the biggest games well they've got Man City v Liverpool on the way and they've got Newcastle v Man U and Liverpool v Man U is coming up very soon as well the two now sports memberships are the place to see all the action can check them out today see what you think the whole membership process actually is really straightforward and now is the only place you need to go to get sky sports premier sports and tnt sports that's a lot of sports in one sentence i can hear some people (laughs) saying but that may indeed be the case but whether it's for a day or for a month now has the sports membership for you right let's get back in the road and visit this week's guest holly cairns Hi, how are you? How are you doing? Hey. It's gorgeous. <laughs> You're perfect parked here as long as you don't mind standing into a puddle. 
Perfect. Well, I've got long legs. I'll jump. Oh, God. Wait, where are we going? Oh, it's this this. Here. Okay. Just behind you. Yeah. Great. Yeah, thanks, Holly. You're very welcome to episode. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us and for inviting us into your lovely home. I have your bulldog Hey Hey sleeping at my feet. It's very cozy. Is it hard to leave here to go up to Dublin, the Lencer House? It seems like a different world we're in here. Yeah, actually, sometimes uh, I suppose one of the aspects of the job that isn't that nice is being away from home so much. So mm. going up to Dublin normally on a Monday until Thursday night. But I mean, trivial. Trivial. <laughs> um, I've heard you speak a lot about your job and your path into politics. And you have an openness about you when you talk. Um, and that's kind of one of the themes of this series. We're speaking to lots of different people about the experiences they've had. That openness, is that going to become a problem for someone who's become a leader of a political party? Do you have to be more guarded or do you have to be more available? What happens when you become leader? Something I'm actually struggling with quite a lot at the moment. That, really? Well, just try that kind of the balancing of everything. I think I am naturally really open. That's not something I had really realised about myself until I went into politics. But if something happened regardless of how personal it might be if I saw Ivan the shopkeeper in Valley Dahab I'd tell him and I've never that's never had any repercussions because like nobody cares like ultimately um and then <laughs> since going into politics I'd be like open about things say things and then that gets turned into a headline in a newspaper and without any context it can feel like there's a lot of coverage then of just your personal life and it's very difficult to just manage that then because ultimately if you don't want you know personal focus on you as a politician and now leader of the party then you need to close up and that's not something that comes very naturally to me so it's about balancing that and I think that's the thing that I'm kind of grappling with at the moment is like well, I do ultimately need to be myself as well because you can look at politics in the abstract, but ultimately people need to trust the people they're voting for and in some way at least get to know them. And if you close up and don't engage with people in the way that you used to, I don't know. It's just a difficult thing to balance. I'd assume a lot of people in the world of politics are, are, are media trained or they get support in how to get through in a whole interview without really saying anything about themselves. They can be quite guarded and know where to keep the boundaries. Maybe I should have done that. <laughs> that Maybe I should have had some media training in the first instance, but I don't think so. I don't know, from my perspective, like it's only four or five years ago that I wasn't involved mm. in politics at all. I had nothing to do with it. And when I'd hear politicians just like talking on the radio or on the TV, it just felt like jargon. I didn't feel like I could connect with it. I didn't feel like it was speaking to me, listening to me, anything like that. So I don't really want to learn how to do that either, I don't think. Um, you know, you have politicians getting asked a question and they just literally don't answer it for three minutes on the clock. You know, you don't want to go there either. So I guess it's just um, politics is a whole new world and the media for me is a whole new world. And I've just been kind of learning as I go along. And I think now... Like it was one thing, say, becoming a counsellor and that mm. became a little bit apparent. And then very quickly after that, uh, became a TD and it became a bit more apparent. And now I'm the leader of the party. It's like there's even more at stake based on things that I say. Um, so it's just tricky. 
I really felt it at a time. It was, I had said, there's a, a new citizen assembly on drugs set up at the moment. And one journalist had written a column just about that. And there was a few of us in a cross-party group on drug use and legislation around that. And he, that journalist spoke to a couple of us who were in that group. And he said to me just at the end of talking to him, do you, is there a reason you have a particular interest in it? And I was like, well, probably because my brother died of an overdose, my stepbrother. And he just put it in the article as part of the article. He didn't do that thing of making it the headline and all the things that I wouldn't be kind of wise enough to realise that that would happen. Um, but it wasn't until I became the leader then that that happened. It was taken from there. Well, you've spoken about this publicly, speak about it now. But if I weigh that up, for me, I would never not speak about that. And I do remember um, at the time when I spoke about it, people would say like, Holly, there's no need to be ashamed. And I was thinking, I'm not ashamed. Where did that come from? I'm sad. But there's this whole, yeah, so it's like, for me, I wasn't able to not speak about it anyway. That wasn't an option in hindsight. Even I would never hide that. Um, It didn't even occur to me that there would be any shame attached to it. But that would almost be how it would be perceived then. And, And I just couldn't. I couldn't believe that in the moment. I suppose because I was feeling sadness, I wasn't feeling any kind of shame, you know. Um, and then it was just as time. So for my own self, I wouldn't change that. I've I've no issue talking about. It. I think it's important to talk about things like that because, like, more people dra- die from drug overdoses than road traffic accidents, and we don't see the same kind of public awareness campaigns. Nothing. So I think it's important to talk about that. But when it gets turned into a headline in a newspaper, it doesn't feel like you're kind of creating that awareness or anything. It feels like it's more, you know, if it's like, I'm not going to say the headlines, but you know. Mm. Um, but then the thing, so for me, like I said, I'd be happy to talk about that anyway. I'd do it again. <laughs> but if it upsets somebody else in the family, there's a whole other array of things that I need to consider. And it is something that I think for me will take a lot of getting used to. So in, in to use that as an example, like what, would you have had the support of your family to speak about that? Yeah, it's just right. that somebody who was uh, also really close to Sam was upset about it. Okay. And so I don't want to upset anyone. God, you know, <laughs> um, so that just makes it difficult. And I think that kind of goes for anything. If you want to talk about it publicly, uh, you kind of have to take all of those things into consideration. And I suppose just being somebody who would naturally always tell everybody everything that hadn't dawned on me in advance so is the politically astute thing to do going forward is is it to be more guarded or is that openness something that you're just gonna carry on being and having i think it's gonna be a bit of both (laughs) going forward and it's about you know what things are like if it's just mine to share yeah but if i'm sharing somebody else's story as well maybe if it's going to impact other people, the answer actually, which is, I don't know. Okay. I think that's something I'm trying to figure out at the moment, to be honest. Like, I think I always would have just thought, be yourself no matter what. And I guess maybe there's a way of being yourself and not talking about everything. If at the end of the day, then it ends up with those kind of headlines in the paper that actually don't feel nice or don't feel like you're yeah. creating any kind of awareness or that anything positive will come from it. One of the things that drew us into being really excited by asking you to be on the podcast is 
you don't sound like how a lot of politicians sound like what you just said where people get asked a question and they faff for three minutes and they avoid the question that's been asked and you're none the wiser mm. they kind of come in with a prepared answer um, you spoke in January I think it was about the type of abuse that all politicians have to, re- to kind of that they receive and then it moved into specifically the targeted abuse that's aimed at women before we get into all of that and what that was like and the reaction you got to what you said, you had reservations about speaking about that, didn't you, initially? Yeah, I think there's a a kind of a unspoken <laughs> feeling where it's like, well, you don't talk about that because you become the victim. And like when you're going for an election, running for election, it's not the look you're going for, you know? And... Then it was um, Jennifer Bray from the Irish Times was ringing around different TDs and asking them had they experienced abuse and nobody would speak on the record about it for that reason. But then there ended up being this coverage of like, this exists, this is a problem, but it's all very unspoken. And that to me felt like, so there's a couple of different things. You don't want to talk about it because you don't want to deter people from going into politics because we desperately need, especially more women in politics. Like it's, the situation's desperate. Just to highlight your listeners, like the amount, the lack of female representation, not to mention any other kind of diversity, is desperate. We really need to get more people in so you'd be like, geez, I don't want to deter anyone by talking about the, mm-hmm. the negatives as such because they certainly don't outweigh the positives. But there's that But then there was also the reality that obviously when this journalist got in touch with lots of us, we had lots to say. (laughs) There's there's stuff going on. And like, if we're not actually willing to at least say it and address it. Well, if you're a potential future candidate, would that not be a more positive outlook than everybody speaking about it anonymously, not being willing to go on the record about it and then nothing ultimately being done about it? So it was kind of like, this feels like a really unproductive approach actually from all of us to just kind of contribute to the article anonymously in that. So I just thought better off being open, being honest about it, talking about it, looking for solutions, ideas to change it and saying to people, despite that, I don't regret this. And I really think one of the main solutions to the kind of, there's different types of abuse Mm. and say if we're talking about the particular kind of gendered abuse that women get, well, I think the quickest solution to that is getting more women in politics because when you're such a minority, like, you know, 16 TDs in Cork County is the biggest county in the country and I'm the only woman representing Cork. You know, it's just, it's utterly ridiculous. And I guess I just thought if I I was that person four years ago and I'd rather hear the female politicians talking about it, acknowledging it and trying to address it. And so that's what happened. <laughs> Would you all have been aware, do you share openly with one another what your actual experience of this issue is with one another? I know there was a reluctance to come forward and speak about it up until this year, but would you have all known the, the landscape for each other? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you talk about it really? amongst each other. I mean, I presume, do you get a bit of that in public life? I've had lots of different roles over the years. So when I was a professional footballer, I'd be on the pitch and would have got horrendous abuse aimed at me, bit of commentary online, people starting on me in pubs, just telling, kind of saying, I I pay your wages, you're shit. Uh, And so there's this kind of sense of ownership over you. 
and you, you're kind of boxed into this position where you go well I can't I can't shout back because then I'm a footballer shouting at a supporter of our club that's not an acceptable look at all so you kind of have to say to yourself well this is acceptable it's not going to change and exactly like you said if I speak up about it I'll give people the impression I'm struggling to deal with it or it'll invite even more stick mm. um, and I bring attention to myself in the wrong way again it's this perception of weakness yeah. and you're a footballer and I was at a club which was particularly macho and tough so anything that perceives you as weak you run away from so that would have been in my teens and 20s. And then at various points as a pundit, you get lots of abuse for the opinions he gave. I worked for a football club in an administrative role. People give you dogs abuse for the decisions you make. And over the years, I would have had to come up with various ways of managing it, ignoring it or getting support with it. What support do you get with the stuff that's said to you? Um, I suppose I have an incredibly supportive family, okay. boyfriend, colleagues, that's I think the best the only answer to that really there's you know I think it's like then like CCTV <laughs> yeah well, you know what I mean other kind of solutions to it but I I suppose what I don't feel like are maybe you're saying there the presumption of weakness mm. are we actually as well as a country moving a bit more towards that not being perceived as a weakness to speak out about it I don't know just thinking whilst you were saying it like I hope so yeah like, I hope that's the direction we're heading, because I think the more people share experiences and I've done it in other areas where you share experiences that for years you keep to yourself because you think you will be perceived negatively once you share them. Yeah. So I assume that's one of the dilemmas that are in a politician's mind where you go, will I talk about this or will I not? What are the kind of things that female politicians in general or you personally have to deal with? What, what is the commentary? What is the terminology? What kind of things are said to you or about you? Um, starting out, I got quite, just a lot of um, real kind of blatant sexism. I think, really? like, um, I remember being at a, a hustings, like one of the debates for the elections, and uh, all of the other candidates, say predominantly male ones, would have been referred to as with their title like councillor or deputy or all that kind of stuff and the, the it was the kind of chair of this particular debate saying oh well you can sit up here because you look lovely this kind of thing no swear yeah just really like really blatant and I suppose like when I first said that I was going for the elections I was laughed at in many ways because everyone said she doesn't have a hope of getting elected like on what like lesser kind of a thing so there was a lot of that and then yeah difficult to explain that but then it kind of changed then over time like it became much different then when I got elected as a TD and I guess you just become like more people know you so there's a greater quantity of commentary coming from more places and more people and uh, I remember then I would get stuff like just more stuff like it could be like you're a horrible bitch I don't actually I don't feel comfortable saying the stuff that goes on I don't know why um, which even, so, which in itself is yeah, noteworthy like that is so difficult to even repeat yeah but nonetheless it said repeatedly to you somebody like once photoshopped my head onto a dead body in a coffin and sent it to me and left a voice note saying that they would piss on me remember that for some reason stands out um, I could see why that would stand <laughs> out yep yeah. um 
Yeah, I guess a lot of the stuff then when you became more and more known was like more sexualized stuff. And I think that that's the worst. Like, I've no issue with somebody saying they completely disagree with my politics or mm. they hope I don't get reelected or anything like that. But it's the more uh, sexualized stuff, I think, is the, the worst stuff that I've received, probably. Is that constant? See, for me, it didn't actually... When I say it didn't phase me, I don't want to sound like, sure, I didn't even care. Because, like, I presume on some level I did, but I really didn't feel like it was kind of... I just thought it was this other thing that was separate to me, that there was just people who do that and they're neither here nor there. You certainly shouldn't take them into consideration on a day-to-day basis or let it in or really think about it. It just wouldn't kind of come in to me personally. And it wasn't until... um, I had somebody turning up at my house that there was obviously dealing with that. But for me, that changed those messages coming in because then I was like, the person who wrote that message could actually be a real person that would turn up at my house. Do you know what I mean? So that was for me when it became, that changed how I felt about the abuse that I got, perhaps. Whereas previously, I don't know why it didn't really actually reach me in terms of having an impact until then. So you were at some level able to disregard it or protect yourself from any impact of it or from it. But then when this fella starts showing up, it becomes far more real. Yes. And and, and, and they showed up to, to this house that we're in now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, on a few occasions and then... Being- were you here on your own at the time? Mm. A while ago, I think I kind of blocked it out to a certain extent. I think they came three times. Um, the first time it was like coming with a kind of feigned query about something, do you know? But it felt not like like it didn't feel genuine, you know. And I think they said you look you look sexier in real life or something like that, and it made me re- like obviously immediately really uncomfortable. Ask them to leave, ask them not to come back, that kind of thing. And there was persistent messages to the work phone before that and after that and everything. And then I remember being in Dublin at one point and getting the message. When I say getting the message, would go to my work phone, but um, I'm outside your house. That's kind of thing. And obviously, you got, you've just driven down here. It's a really remote, really rural area. I think one of the furthest TDs from Leinster House. It's a lovely community it was born here you know it's just so safe so lovely I didn't even have a key for the door I couldn't lock it if I wanted to um, so it just changed all of that now I've got locks obviously I've got CCTV I've got different bits like that did contact the guards and the thing is then it's, there's a situation where you like it's like unless you make a formal complaint and then you're willing to go through the courts and all this kind of stuff there's very little that the guards can do and if you make a formal complaint and go in through the courts and all that you've got a situation where that's covered by the newspapers a lot of your time and energy would go into having it there's this whole you know array of things that kind of would go with it um and so yeah then they came back again with flowers that out the second time yeah it's a it's a it's a while ago now and actually it feels, I'm, I'm kind of glad now that we're really talking about it that I'm like, I don't kind of, mm. it doesn't feel that fresh in my memory, all of the, the details and everything. But um, I just think, you know, in hindsight, when I got elected, ideally, even if it's not particularly nice, 
there'd be a kind of a briefing. Okay, this is what we recommend. You do become a bit more of a potentially, you know, subject to this kind of abuse. So we recommend this, we recommend that. And then you're not in a situation where you're completely unprepared for that kind of a scenario. It's unlikely to happen anyway. I think we're really talking in the extremes of it. And like at the end of the day, I was able to get those things, like get the locks on the door, get the CCTV. And like, there's a lot of people who I represent who live in much more precarious situations, like in different types of homeless accommodation, if they can't find accommodation, who are at far more risk. So I think the lens of perspective is really important or it was really important for me because obviously in a moment like that, if you're scared, it's like after time you can think, well, what can I do to address it to make it safer? (laughs) And when you put it into perspective, it's a price you pay for doing the job, but you're trying to make change. You're You're representing people who are in a much more difficult situation. So it's not a deterrent, you know? It's just a really unfortunate aspect that I think just needs to be addressed and taken seriously. And we encourage people to keep going anyway, you know? Are you glad is maybe the wrong word, but are, are you glad you spoke about that publicly when you did? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And like, now, it's been a few like changes since then. The, the Kian Corla, Sean O'Friel has set up kind of a, a working group in the House of the Oireachtas and like, I mean, for the next round of TDs who come in and, you know, I'd be encouraging loads of women, minority groups, people to, to get involved in politics. I'm glad that it's kind of spread the action of something there. If they get involved in politics, that there's kind of some advice and support to get those kind of things in place to make sure that you're safe. And I think, you know, if that's just one thing that comes from it, that's a plus. Um, it's it's one of those things where we've always felt a little bit immune in Ireland to the kind of things that happen in other countries around politics. And in the same way, we've always felt a bit immune from the far right and we see that we're not. So it's just about acknowledging that and addressing it as best we can. It's how you would approach like anything in work Mm. if there's an issue in the constituency a national issue something it's like how do we address this and I just think that's the right approach to take with something rather than well I don't want to be the victim or whatever it is Um, so yeah I don't regret it I'm I'm really interested in 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 learning about the reaction to it, the responses the the, the private ones or or the public ones so there's a working group set up that was one outcome privately in what way did your colleagues in the Dáil respond? Was there lots of messages of support and encouragement to keep talking? Yeah, there was. Um, and lots of people saying like, oh, well done, and I wouldn't do it. Because um, <laughs> it's not for everyone. No. Yeah. No, and there is, uh, like you talked about, there's a toll to a certain extent. So, you know, you got to, I suppose, pick your battles as well. So maybe in that sense, would I have picked that one? Well, sure, look, I did. <laughs> not not intentionally. But um, my mum always says that you can't die on every cross, you know, that you kind of have to pick your things. Um, but a lot of things choose you, like, rather than the other way around, I suppose. Um, when, when you used to get abuse like that, somebody starting you in the pub, that struck me as quite extreme. <laughs> how would you, how would you deal with that? Well... You kind of have to do a quick calculation and assess like what your options are and, and you very quickly realise that fighting or pushing back or being angry or aggressive 
is not going to end in any way that is going to work for you. Say afterwards when you got home, the next time you're in the pub. There was just back then, I suppose, we're talking about the mid 90s, late 90s in England and it was just accepted that if you had this job as a professional footballer, that you were public property, you were the property of the supporters of the club and anyone in the media could say anything about you and you were never off. Like before we recorded here, I asked you, you, are you ever off? Are you always available? Mm -hmm. In that job, you're never not a footballer. So at any time of day, no matter who you meet, they was felt like they were empowered to say what they wanted, give you whatever feedback they thought was appropriate about how you were doing your job. And, would you and you kind of had to just take it. Would you go into the pub with your shoulders slightly up like, I could be... <laughs> well, you, you just... I, I, I'd walk the dog and have, and yeah. have that. Yeah. Because yeah. at any point someone yeah. could shout something. And, and you're a very different context receiving very different commentary and, and, and abuse. It's a similar thing though. Yeah, the, the, the landscape is the same, but it's, we're both limited in terms of our options in the moment. You can't really fight back, can you? No, but it is a similar thing. Like we're talking here about the general abuse that comes with certain roles, but the specific issue of the type of abuse that's aimed at women and the sexualized nature of a lot of it. Is that more of a pronounced issue now, do you know, or has this always been the case? I'm not sure is the no. answer to that. I've been um, in politics for, I suppose, a relatively short period of time, so I'm not entirely sure how it's kind of developed over time. Um, it was 2019 I first ran for the local elections. And actually, the person we know mutually is, sometimes I, was, I was only saw her this morning and I was thinking of it, when we first met, it was in the car park in Costcutters in Skibbereen. There was a, it was a one of the first canvases for repeal in West Cork, and the in the WhatsApp group, it was to meet in this car park. And Claire was the first person there, and I got there, and we got into the same car, like "Nice to meet you," whatever. And I sometimes think back to those two girls. I was still in my twenties. Like, if we knew that when we first met that moment, where we would come to you today, so the very first door I knocked on was with Claire very first canvas ever did we knocked on a door and asked people to vote for abortion rights and then it was from there Claire has been with me every single step of the way from the first canvas for my for me going for the local elections um, where we got in by one vote and like that we were written off we weren't even mentioned in the coverage of it in the newspaper because they didn't think that we had a chance and then it was only eight months after that general election we went for that and we got that seat. Claire was my campaign manager the whole way through. Um, going up to, it was just March that I went into the role of leadership when Catherine Roshin stepped mm. down and it was Claire in the room with me where we were freaking out before I went out to take over the position. So um, I think sometimes to explain where we started and where we've come from in a short period of time, I don't have that kind of knowledge of the context of what it's been like for people I haven't been kind of entrenched in politics for years and known other politicians or been in the been in a political party or mm. involved in in any way so it was all so new to us and obviously there's things then you'd be like oh, I didn't even know what we're getting ourselves into but I think it's ultimately been our you know our biggest strength because like we talk about like experience and stuff like that in politics and like some of the most experienced politicians in the country bankrupted Mm. And I think sometimes bringing new experiences to politics, like um, I worked in disability services for years. I worked on a small farm, waitressing, all of those things. It's like we need that variety of experience in politics. But I think um, 
it's kind of like even when you get to Leinster House, it's not this kind of like induction where you're like, this is the bill's office. This is where this is. Same with the, the local authority. Like I arrived the first day of Cork County Council alone because I didn't realise you bring your friends, your family, your supporters, your campaign managers. Um, so having that kind of fresh perspective, I think, is really essential. And uh, then it just lets me down in moments like this where I can't answer a broader <laughs> question about politics. Um, I, I think for... There, there will be people listening to this who have no experience of receiving random negative commentary or abuse from members of the public for the job that they do. And I don't have any personal experience of the type of abuse you're talking about. To the just get on with it, it's part of your job crowd or the take it as a compliment crowd or the it's not going to change, just deal with a crowd. Like, how can you explain to people like what the impact of those kind of messages are or that kind of treatment and that kind of abuse? Um, I hope in speaking out about it, I explained a little bit of that impact. Um, And I guess, you know, if you're somebody who sends threatening messages like that online and thinks, sure, what harm, you know, um, to think about the impact that it has on somebody like that, I used to have the doors unlocked now, if I had something like the hairdryer on, I'd be like, I'll lock the door in case I wouldn't hear somebody come in or, you really? know, like okay. I never, never would have occurred to me for a second before like that. No keys to the house previously. So I guess I think sometimes, you know, because like I said, that the, the perception of like a message coming in and me thinking, sure, what about it? To then thinking, oh, my God, that's somebody's turn up the house. Like, realistically, it's not. <laughs> If all of those people had turned up the house, I'd be talking about it now. They don't. But I guess it's just, I mean, also important for people to know that uh, a lot of the time public reps go straight to the guards with things if they're, you know, at a particular level of threat or kind of anything like that. And important for people to know that. And eventually they can match things up if different people go to the guards or different things. They might be able to put a few pieces of puzzle Mm. together and find you. And, you know, it's kind of, it's putting yourself at risk as well if you're doing something like that. And I heard you earlier in the year when you were describing in detail why people resist talking about this. And you mentioned it earlier in our chat, the, the, the fear that it might be perceived as a weakness or that you're talking about the wrong stuff or that it, it should, shouldn't be mentioned. Have you ever had any experiences in the last nine months now since you mentioned it where someone has given you any kind of negative commentary for talking about this? Yeah. It's a similar one to uh, like um, wanting to create a maternity leave for politicians. This just doesn't exist. Incredibly. Amazingly. <laughs> so I remember uh, after I've been on the local authority and I'd met councillors on Cork County Council who'd had children and been straight back to work and all this kind of like, I mean, ridiculous. Like, And then we're wondering why we don't have more women in politics. And I remember, so when I uh, got elected to the Dáil, um, I put forward a bill to allow for a provision for councillors and the local and city, the the county and city authorities around the country to be able to take maternity leave. People would say to me, like, you should be doing things for Cork South West, for the country rather than for politicians. And that was just such an interesting way to look at it for me, because I think for people in Cork South West, for people all over Ireland, if we have a different array of people making decisions at that decision making table, that will impact us all in such a positive way that it's such an obvious approach to try and change that. (laughs) Because if you've got three of me making a decision for Richie, it's not as good as having 
Richie at that table too. Do you know, it's yeah. like you need a diversity in decision making. And like addressing a, a root cause of not having more of that is an obvious thing to make Cork Southwest, the country better, in my opinion. So I just couldn't believe that, that was the view. And it was the same view that I got with this. So it's like, well, why are you put why are you working on things for politicians? That's to make politicians life better. And don't you have it good enough? And like a hundred percent we do. You know? Like I said, when you put it into context and into perspective, there's way more important issues out there than the safety of politicians. What about the safety of so many other people? But it was that I didn't understand that they didn't see that as, well, if we bring those people into politics and they're helping make decisions, then all of our laws, our entire establishment helps to protect those people better. So it just depends on what way you look at it. But I, I do get that kind of negative do commentary. You? Yeah, Often? No, not From constituents or colleagues or... Uh, I think it's actually mainly from people in the political bubble. But a bit of both. Yeah, no, it's actually, now that I think about it, mainly people in politics probably. Um, but yeah, and I mean, then like obviously that's not the only issue that we work on by any stretch of the imagination. It, I know, I know. And yeah. you, you've, you've said that a lot here as well, yeah. that the, there's a context and there's a perspective and yeah. you're really keen to repeat again and again that there are there are other scenarios that other people are facing which are not that you want to rank people's issues no, but no, there are, yeah. are levels of distress out there that that you don't feel is in this issue that you're talking about here but it's not an unimportant issue like the safety of political representatives is not unimportant yeah um, and we've seen that the protests recently outside the door and stuff like that there's kind of um, an emphasis being put on ensuring that like reps can get in and out to work safely that kind of stuff Um I guess it's just that like the same coverage wasn't given to the fact that those same groups were protesting outside libraries for putting in yeah. information about uh, sex education, LGBTQ plus stuff, you know, so it was like we got like, you know, it was like so much coverage about them protesting about outside the door and not enough about it outside the libraries. And I think that's a really valid point, to be fair, that... um it's it's the same thing. It's the context. It's the perspective. Um, I would happily sit here in this setting and talk to you all day. It's gorgeous. The 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 fire's on and I can hear the dog snoring. Um, but I won't take up any more of your time. You're very very good for speaking to us on the podcast, Holly Cairns. Thanks a million. Thank you so much. Will I be able to reverse all the way out? Well, perfect. Stay home. <laughs> See ya. Now. Here we are back in the town of Skibbereen. And we're still in the rain and I am still apologetic. <laughs> yes, you are. That's gorgeous. Thank you so much to Holly Cairns. I really want to thank her for inviting us into her home, for having that conversation with us and for introducing us to her gorgeous dog, Hey Hey. And also Blaze the Cat, who I think could really feel that you were not a cat person, Richie. Oh, I think I made that clear from the moment <laughs> I arrived at the house. <laughs> Before we go, a reminder that this entire series of episode is brought to you by Now. We're delighted to have them on board. As I mentioned earlier, they've massive, massive matches on the way over the next couple of months. They've got Man City v Liverpool, Newcastle v Man U and Liverpool v Man United. Plus, the return of the Champions Cup in December isn't too far down the tracks at all. So if you're into rugby, you can stream it all with a Now Sports membership. Once again, huge thanks to Holly Cairns. Thanks to you, Killian. Thank you very much, Richie. Episode is the second Captain's Podcast and is part of the ACAST Creator Network. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off.
never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. The second captain. Second captain, first captain, whatever. <laughs>